0: You're listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey everybody, welcome to Humanize Me. I'm Bart Campolo. I am the host of this podcast. And if you want to get in touch with me, it's easy. You just go to bartcampolo.org online. There's a place where it says contact me. It goes right to my email box. I wish I could say I had a huge staff that was culling through these things. It's just me. And that's why it might take a long time for me to respond, but I will respond. I respond to every email. I don't mess with comments. I don't do Facebook. Not much of a Twitter guy. But if you email me, I will write you back. Because that's the code. And a man's got to have a code, as Omar once said on the wire. Listen, before we even get into the conversation, because I'm going to give you like I'm going to take you into a conversation with my friend Kester Bruin that I think you're going to find really interesting. Um, I He's just a fascinating dude to me. And and so, I, you know, this conversation goes long and you can skip around it or you can flash ahead or you might get into it. I don't know. But like I love Kester. He is uh, one of the most literary, thoughtful, um, kind of I, 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 I'm trying to think of a great of, of a correct word, but like there's a way in, transcendent. Yeah, that's a bad word, you know it makes it sound like he's a demigod. Um, he's a guy who's always you know Oscar Wilde once said we're all in the gutter, but some of us are looking at the stars. And uh, Kester's one of those guys, and uh, if you if you listen to him, if you hang around him, he gets you looking at the stars. So okay, so so coming up is a conversation with Kester Bruin, um, and you're gonna like it. In the meantime, I've got a recommendation for you. I just read a book that may be the most humanizing novel I have read in a decade. Um, It's it's actually a very popular book right now. It's called Lincoln in the Bardo. Lincoln in the Bardo. And, and I would be remiss and I love to use the word remiss um, if I told you that I could summarize the plot of Lincoln and the Bardo. Suffice it to say it is a George Saunders novel and suffice it to say that it unfolds in a graveyard over the course of a single night. It's narrated by all these different Voices. And I say voices because they're not people. Because most of the people in this novel are dead. Um, and they, they are spirits. And you say, well, wait a second. That sounds very supernatural. So it, it, it can't be humanizing. It can't be secular humanist stuff. If it, if it, listen, it's a work of art. And sometimes a work of art, like the Bible, for instance. Sometimes a work of art tells tales in a beautiful way. That get us to reflect on the realities of this life in uh, in 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 kind of a helpful fashion, and so don't knock art, don't ask art to do what science does, and don't ask science to do what art does because sometimes it can pull it off, but most of the time, if you want that kind of perspective, you need some imagination um, beyond beyond the evidence so Anyway, Lincoln and the Bardo. I, I, I can't even tell you. All I'm saying is like I cried and I don't usually cry when I'm reading. And when I closed it, I felt like I had spent an evening with a community. Yeah, that's a, a way of saying it. Is that, is that, and not not a perfect community, a very imperfect community, but, but Saunders creates... A whole community in this book, and has them talk to each other, and in the context of that conversation, I'm not words fail me. In the context of that conversation, stuff happens that reminds me, or reminded me, of of why I'm I feel so privileged to be a human being, and to have this conscious moment where I connect connect with other people. All right. So that's me waxing eloquent on Lincoln and the Bardo. Pre- coming up is me talking with my buddy Kester. I hope you dig it. Catch you on the other side.
1: <laughs> so where are you? How are you doing? Where are you sitting? I'm sitting in my lounge in Crystal Palace, which is a suburb of uh, southeast London. Yes. Yeah.
0: Crystal Palace has, uh, a so- has a football team.
1: A very good football team in the Premier League. Yeah.
0: Do you? I mean, is that the team you root for?
1: It should be, but unfortunately not. No, uh, I'm actually a Manchester United fan for all the wrong reasons. How unimaginative. Yeah, well, I was, I was born in Sheffield up in the Midlands, and uh, that's 1972. And when, I ca- when it came to my first day of primary school, um, my mum bought me the cheapest bag at the market, which was a Man United bag. <laughs> <laughs> and that labelled you la- right from the start. Yeah, I mean, you, you declare your colours, you can't go back. Um, they were terrible. They were terrible back then. Uh, and all the Sheffield teams were really good. Nottingham Forest were really good. Liverpool weren't so far away. So, yeah, it, it, I got stuck with Man United, and there you go. It That's, all came good for a it's, while. It's all
0: economic. Year. That's so funny.
1: That's a <laughs> good. Yeah, yeah. It was You know, Vickers kids, and we, we had no money, so, yeah. Yeah, did, did you grow up in the church stuff? Oh, my God, like, steeped. Oh my steeped. Yeah, With- my dad, my dad was a minister. My uncle is a minister, my other uncle is uh a lay minister. My ex-father-in-law is a minister. My great-grandfather was like, you know, this they called him the golden voice of Edinburgh. And uh when he died there had a two minute silence in the city. He was a A big preacher up there Wow Um, and the apocryphal story goes that um, as was noted at his funeral he preached freely in the spirit but was much troubled at home (laughs) 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 in other words he was a depressive bastard and not a very nice guy but he was you know he was he was absolutely loved and adored loved and adored yeah so it goes way back it goes back and back and back yeah all right, yeah. so, so he, how about you? So what about what? I mean, I mean, how here's far the, thing, I mean, back? here's the thing.
0: Here's the thing. Like, do you listen to podcasts mm. all the time? Who's your like? Like, who do you listen to?
1: My top three, I suppose, are uh, there's a, there's a BBC podcast called In Our Time.
0: Yeah, I've heard which that. Is, yeah, I like you that. know
1: Melvin Bragg and it's history of ideas. It's you know one week it could be mathematics and it could be science and and literature. Uh this is like the best free education oh, yeah, in great. the world. It's great. Uh and then I love Radio Lab. Yep. Which I think is fantastic. Uh, and it's American Life. They're like my top three.
0: Okay. So have you ever heard a podcast called WTF with Mark Marin?
1: I don't think I have. Oh, uh, I think
0: you'll I think you'd really like it. Um, cool. I'll get it. It's one of the most popular ones here. Mark Marin is a stand-up comic, but he interviews everyone and he's just mm emerged as kind of he i mean he's the guy who did the podcast with obama
1: ah okay okay yeah he's just emerged
0: as a great conversationalist Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and i've you know what i sort of take away from listening to him because sometimes he'll talk to people that i don't know what they who they are or what they've done yeah but they have a great conversation yeah and it's yeah and it's still interesting to me and so it doesn't yeah. require that. And so what a lot, when I started this podcast, or actually not when I started it, but when I finally figured out how it could be useful to somebody, yeah, what it boiled down to was me, because I have access to a lot of really interesting people who are thinking and doing mm-hmm. things, and just sort of me talking to those people in an authentic way.
1: So Sounds good to me.
0: The only authentic way I know how to talk to you is to go like, your Bruin, like – super interesting guy that I talked to for a half an hour once at a festival.
1: That was it. That's
0: it. That That's it. all we've got. Yeah. So you exactly. You don't know jack shit about my background and I don't know very I didn't know that you came from, you know, like ministry royalty in Scotland.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't know, I don't know much about your background, you know. Well, suffice, beyond the obvious.
0: Suffice to say that my father is a little bit of evangelical ministry royalty <laughs> here in the United States, <laughs> and actually I, I, around the world. I haven't heard that. <laughs>
1: no, you you never heard of the old man? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I went to see him loads and loads of times. Yeah, yeah. Spoke to you know, and obviously because. You know, there's like my dad. So my dad would introduce him, and then you know we'd chat afterwards. So it was kind of like one of those things. Not that he'd remember, not that your dad remember, would remember, but you know, that's uh, yeah.
0: Right. So I mean, so the, I mean, so my story is pretty easy. Like I grow up in that, you know, I I, I become a Christian when I'm in high school. Mm. I immediately get involved in inner city stuff. I spend yeah. 30 years working, living and working among the poor. Gra- yeah. You know, gradually becoming more and more committed to social justice and, lo- and community and relationships and gradually losing my ability to believe in any kind of supernatural <laughs> force in the universe. Cause we're just, we're just praying for basic stuff. We're just praying like, don't let that yeah. kid get killed and he gets killed. Yeah. Like God just, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like I have a friend, uh, I have a friend who says, not, you know, his bumper sticker is nothing fails like prayer. And, uh, and in my experience, you know, would, the occasional miracle <laughs> would come that would keep us in the game. But uh, they, they came about precisely as often
1: as they would come by random chance, so do you know uh, you know the Turing test yeah, yeah, the Turing test, yeah so you know you've got this and, 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 and Turing is asked, you know will will machines ever be intelligent and he says, well that, that's not the interesting question. The, the interesting question is, will anyone be able to tell you know in Text dialogue with a computer as to whether it whether there's an intelligent computer behind there, whether it's just a person. And I was kind of thinking last night. I was like, you know, how does the Turing test work with communication with God? You know, like how do you know you're communicating with a divine being when nothing answers back? <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, how do how do we work this? You know, what kind of force? Artificial intelligent, divine intelligence, divine intelligence—you know what kind of thing is going on back there that would make somebody think that there is communication? I mean, it's just like, yeah. Well, I
0: think you know the answer to that question.
1: I uh, do know the answer to that question, but what what I find s- super interesting is cl- the answer to the question is pretty clear, but it's the it's it's the reason why people keep going that I find completely extraordinary um so i wrote i wrote a piece that i wrote a piece for the huffington post actually on atheist prayer and you know what's actually going on when people who are clearly atheist who you know don't have a functioning belief in a transcendent being when they say to people you know well thoughts and prayers with you you know after some terror attack or something like that well it's like you know there's clearly something going on
0: if you actually want to answer that question you should refer to the episode of my podcast where i explain why and how i continue to pray
1: yeah, yeah, you of know, course.
0: and and sort of the scientific reason why I don't think God changes anything, but prayer definitely does. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so so but but so so okay, so so you and I, I mean, it's funny. I just got back from the Wild Goose Festival, oh. yesterday, cool. and they had me back five that, years after, you know, like the fall,
1: and that, I, and, and that, this. I think that, I think that marks them out as good rather than, you know, I, you know, they've probably moved,
0: <laughs> well, you know, they had me back. They, they, you know, and, and it was funny because the guy who runs the thing is a guy named Rick Meredith or, I mean, he's one of the guys that runs it now. Mm-hmm. And he was in Southern California and Brian McLaren sent him to see me. Uh-huh. And when Rick came, he was showing me what he was doing. And, and, and I was excited about the stuff that they were doing. Cause you know, I mean, I want Christians. They're going to be Christians. And I want them to be the best kinds of Christians. Yeah, you know, I want them to love the poor and care for other people, and you know, and be open and kind. And so I, you know, I was like, I think you should do this. And what about that? And and at one point, I just said, you know what? Half the people at your festival aren't going to be Christians ten years from now. Mm. Oh, yeah. And I mean, they're at your festival. They're they're on the ragged edge. They're hanging on by a thread. And I said. They're scared to death to leave because they don't know what's on the other side. And so yeah. it might be good to, ha- to bring somebody like me in to sort of go yeah. like, you know what? Life could be pretty good on the other side. Like you could still be involved in ministry. You can still make a difference in other people's lives. You can still pursue goodness and you can still seek truth and all that stuff on the other side. And here's how it works. And he said, you know, that's a, that makes a lot of sense to me.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and I think what's interesting is that that, you know, where there's that kind of fear and anxiety amongst, you know, people out in the general populace or in general churches, actually, there's a huge amount of fear about that. What's on the other side for ministers, you know, or for those who are involved in ministry, whether it's, you know, Rob Bell or Pete Rollins or, you know, just kind of the, the scores of ministers who get in touch with me. And I'm sure they do with you, too, saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You okay, yeah, I don't but, believe okay. this stuff anymore
0: could could we just get right to that okay cuz like Mm. uh, so you know I I, I'm not gonna make you do your whole backstory because on some level our backstories are the same like we grew up in that world yeah and because it was the only Avenue of goodness open to us that we knew about
1: we pursued. Yeah, you got to grow up somewhere
0: right we pursued it and and we're grateful because we learned a lot of cool stuff in there we met a lot of lovely people and hopefully we touched people in positive ways Um, Yeah, absolutely. But at some point, we came to the place where the values all still made sense to us, but the narrative totally didn't.
1: Yeah. So, so how
0: old were you when you stepped out?
1: Wow. That's a really good question. Because I was, I was, I mean, I was in. I was in. I was like Toronto blessing in. I was kind of, you know, full on, all of that. I was being told you know you got to get in the family business need the qualification all of that so age 26 i started a thing called vox uh oh my gosh
0: i have your email address i still have a vox
1: email address for you yeah of course yeah i mean it's like it's a four letter domain like you don't get those anymore so you know (laughs) (laughs) we keep those (laughs) <laughs> I just started selling those out. I mean, like, I've got, I've got, you know, at Vox Twitter account, and people beg me to sell it to them. I'm like, no way, no way. So I started Vox with a with a friend of mine, and it it was basically like unleashing a pathogen. You know, we knew it was going to kill off our faith in in that traditional way, but it just need, you know, it, it we needed to let that happen and see what. So that, I was about 26 then. But, like you, you know, these things happen gradually in a funny way. You know, you enter on a road you don't, you know, what? Well, you kind of know where the road is going, but you don't quite want to admit it. Um, so was, that probably was Vox, took,
0: was Vox a, uh, like a gathering or was it like a magazine? What was it? It was, yeah, it, it was a
1: gathering. It was a gathering. It was, it came under the umbrella of what you might call alternative worship. Okay. So, it, I mean, it started like, we were, you know, we were going to this huge, very, very successful church in southeast London. There's like 800 people there. Uh, you know, which for London Church is big. Young people, and they're creative. They're artists. All this kind of stuff. You know, so me and this guy, are like, hey, you know, how do we get? How do we get involved? Like, if you don't play the guitar or arrange flowers, like, in what way can you contribute? Well, you can't. You know, so we were like, hey, you know, can we set up a space where maybe people can bring what they're actually creating? You know, day to day, like film or drama or theatre or whatever it is. And the guy's like, well, you know, maybe once every couple of months we could give you an hour. I was like, well, screw this. I mean, come on. So we just literally found a barn of a, barn of a building that wasn't used on a Sunday night just down the road. And we're like, okay, let's do this. Let's, let's, let's create a space within which people can bring whatever gifts they've got.
0: And you, and- knew, you knew that an unmoored, reflective Christian experience was, gonna, it was just going to take you down a wrong path.
1: The right path. Well, yeah. You know I mean, you know, you knew that was sh-
0: going to be the end. Hey, by the way, pull you sh- your microphone away yeah. from your shirt. Cause you're, you're scratching. Sorry, man. You're yeah. scratching.
1: Um, you know, you, you step off the cruise ship and you get onto a little, you know, a little yacht or whatever it is, yeah. you know, the sea's heavy, uh, but the experience is visceral and absolutely awesome. And well, one, you know, you're never going back to the cruise ship. And two, you you know you're you're gonna find land i mean the reason you stay on the cruise ship is, is it never moors anywhere it just goes round and round and round and round um as if as if you know as if it's kind of constantly seeking, searching for this shore but it can't ever take you there and it's like well okay we've hit ground now what do you do you know i mean th- there's only one thing to do the only one thing that that's uh reasonable uh, that that has any integrity, and that's to really kind of be clear about that, you know.
0: And how long did that? Uh, take, and it, how long did that process take?
1: Vox ran for ten years, um, and by the end of it, we we <laughs> deliberately killed it because it was like, look, you know, are we serving it or is it serving us? And this vehicle has been brilliant, but. You know, now you've hit the shore. You don't drag the boat over the shore, do you? You you find a new vehicle. Um,
0: And and so that was was how long ago?
1: That was like 2008.
0: So when you killed Vox, because like, when you killed Vox, Mm. were you like, Vox is post, like Vox is over. Are you now Mr. Post Christian? Or are you still edgy Pete Rollins title zone Christian?
1: Um That's a good question. I mean you, you know, as you said earlier you get born into a story you get born into a narrative and for me that that founding narrative always stays part of your DNA, so uh, I always think Christians should be non self-identifying like, you know, it's not for me to call myself a Christian if someone Says that I act in a Christian way. Well, that that's good So I would never say, oh, I'm not a Christian. I want to reclaim Christianity for the thing that I think it truly is, which is a non-transcendent, non-transcendent movement. Um, But yeah, I mean, definitely by the end of Vox, I was, I was finding, wanting to find ways to express that in a nurturing way. Like I. I didn't, I didn't want to set out to break anything, or to be too reactive, or to kind of, you know, go kick something down. Um, you know, I've always been fascinated by literature, by story, by by the poetic, and all these things. And it was a it was a case of like, okay, how can I how can I find the the right metaphors for for what this journey is? And I mean, and then the last three books that I've written, they've all been. Uh, essentially, extended metaphors for for exploring that that end game of that journey. So there was mutiny, which looked at the idea of piracy, and then there was after magic, uh, which which looked at the idea of illusion and magic and how, in kind of superhero narratives, you know what the hero always does is to give up their supernatural arts uh, in order to become more fully human. Uh, and then the most recent book, Getting High, which is essentially a history of of the human quest for flight which you can read transcendence and how uh, Actually that has ended up dehumanizing us. So all of these things have been me trying to express That in a way that that I think I want to offer people a way To follow that path Like what, what annoys me is when people say "Look, I'm over here Like this is where I am and you're wrong and you should just get with the program It's like, yeah, but how, how, how do you, you know, what's the, what's the path through that? It's a difficult path for some people.
0: you see, that's, that's been my whole passion ever since I walked away from the narrative was I just Mm. kept running into people who were saying, okay, I'm off that, but now I got nothing. I don't know what I, I don't. Yeah. I've got no community. I've got no. Yeah. I've got no cosmos. I've got no. Yeah. I've got no grand story of where we come from and what happens when we die. I've got. Yeah. I've got nothing. I I, I need. A, I need to. Basically, they were sort of like I need a new religion.
1: Um, yeah. That oh, is gotcha. that isn't
0: supernatural that that provides me with belonging that provides me with yeah. transcendence that provides me with storytelling that provides me with, uh, you know, like a, a sense of purpose and, and a ministry in my life, and so and
1: that. And that and that's the internet for most people that is social media and the internet. And that's what I try and do in getting high. say, look, you know, people, people are going towards this as a religious technology.
0: Well, I mean, I absolutely believe uh, it. I mean, that's like, like the hunger is just
1: human. Like that's just what it means to be human. All those desires. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That hunger is never going to go.
0: But the internet is like eating. It is like being hungry for nourishment and finding a, 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 box full of Twinkies like it'll fill you up but it doesn't nourish you I mean that's not gonna do it
1: absolutely right
0: yeah so so okay
1: absolutely so, right
0: so the difference between you and me I think one difference is that I was a professional Christian hmm and so when I left when I couldn't do it anymore when I when I finally looked at my wife and she looked at me and we were like there's nothing left yeah I, I, like, that was not only the end of my Christian journey, it was also the end of my career. All of a sudden, I was, she was like, What are you going to do for a living? Like, what, you know, it, it was the end of, I mean, it sort of was just this kind of wipe the slate clean thing. I, I and at that point, I was like, Why, why didn't I go to law school? Why, why didn't I yeah. become a, a counselor? Why, did, why didn't I do something legit so that I would still have a career? You yeah. did. You, you, were you a college professor when it was over?
1: Uh, I'm a school teacher. So I teach. Were you a school teacher then? Yeah, yeah. I've always been a school teacher, yeah. I mean, one of the things we, and, you know, it was kind of encoded in the DNA of Vox, really, because we knew where it was going to go. Like in our heart, we knew where it was going to go. But one of the things we, see, we never asked anyone for money and we never employed anyone. Yeah. Because we knew it would go down. We knew it would go down and we didn't want it to be you know oh, there's a healthcare plan which obviously we don't really have over here but you know house and all the rest of it and this is the big problem is i got people coming to me like well i have to believe it because it's you know my, my kids are in school oh, it's I've my got job so all the so rest many of, of
0: hey, it. are you familiar with the clergy project no, are you familiar with the clergy project? i'm not no dawkins funded these friends of mine um years ago to start an anonymous website called the clergy project which is mm. a place where ministers who don't believe in God anymore can can connect with each other si- safely, and sort of wow. talk about what it's like. And there are hundreds and hundreds
1: and hundreds of them. Oh, yeah, Abs- I'm I'm sure. I mean, I hear from so many. I hear from so many. I mean, I mean, I had I had a guy email me the other day. He was like, um, he said, I absolutely adored your book, Getting High. So that's just absolutely wonderful. You know, like uh, but I want to offer a critique um, so he, he writes all this thing and it's like uh, there is no critique here you just didn't particularly you know you're not ready to reject the transcendent thing where well, you are but you're too scared like th- there's no critique here you're just too scared to make that move like so but this is what you see all the time people are people are anxious and well you yeah, know I, I, I,
0: I, yeah. and so like and so it's interesting because I I mean I don't even know where to start on this like okay so like the story stuff I may even cut all this out of the podcast I don't know like I don't like the story stuff's interesting but here's what's really I mean it's It's just I just wanted I just wanted to know I didn't know the story so yeah but like so there you are you're a school teacher like way smarter than me because you actually have a job Um, and you're you know British way smarter than me because you actually have health insurance Um, and so so but But there comes a moment where you start to, you know, you're writing books. And so, you you know, so in a sense, there's a moment where you start to communicate with great clarity Mm -hmm. um, that what you're aiming to do is to help people find a way of life or a way of thinking or practice or or, or, that enables them to kind of continue to climb, continue to, to seek, continue to push, but in a natural way rather than a supernatural way.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, so here's the thing. You and I. Okay. So I, I I come later to this, and it's a much more like tectonic, like I lose my job kind of world thing. Yeah. But in yeah. the end, we're in the same place. Now here's where I'm going. Here's the, here's the question. I I just as soon as I started reading your because because I got your book and then I went to your website and I started looking at your at the articles you had written, and I found the one about Rob Bell. <laughs> Okay. And Rob Bell, Rob Bell to me. I mean, he's a friend of mine too. Like you said like you know him. Like Yeah, I, you know, I've met him a bunch. Oh, I've known him for years and I love yeah. him. I think he's a wonderful yeah. human being. Um yeah. but he is kind of the poster child for a whole bunch of people I know who have mm-hmm. I call it the Rob Bell title zone where they are like are they still in or are they out? Like, and they keep it mushy, squishy enough so that they can yeah. continue to make money in the Christian world.
1: Oh, you've just hit it right on the head there.
0: And 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 like, I hate to, and, and I would never say this, to Rob's face, because he would go like, "That's not why I, you know, I, this is sincere and all this." Like, like, but like, it seems so patently obvious to me that these guys don't really believe in in a personal God who does anything yeah but they continue to use the language and to encode it with different meanings so that they can stay in the church or stay in the stay in the flow or stay in the christian bookstores or stay in whatever or stay on oprah and that's kind of like self-help spirituality and and it like what's funny is like i don't know whether to like love them because they're making Mm -hmm. a safe space for a lot of people that don't that are, they're in that, that are in that zone, like, and they're ministering to the people in the squishy zone or to hate them because like, and not hate them, but like, but be mad at them for not just helping us make it safe to pursue goodness in a natural way.
1: And what worries me is, I suppose this is my experience over the last 10 years is, you know, we all took that first few steps together into that zone of oh, you know, we just don't know and we're kind of agnostic and we're like doubting and we kinda of make it mushy. And then they stopped. I'm like, yeah, but what about the next step? Like because you're you, definitely telling you you're, you're, you're telling me things in private and then saying something else in public. In now, your book, in.
0: in one of your articles you talk called it the fetishization of doubt.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: And I was like, oh my gosh. That's that's yeah. like it's, it's, it, they make doubt like a spiritual virtue.
1: Oh, totally, totally. And it, and it becomes then this thing like, oh, you know, I just don't know and I doubt. I'm like, come on, man. Of course you know. Don't be ridiculous.
0: And I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. Ridiculous. Don't get me wrong. I like, there's a difference in my mind between doubt and uncertainty. Like, I can't prove anything. So, like, I'm yeah. not, I'm not even a full on atheist. I'm agnostic. Like, I can't prove anything, you know? But of course I'm also agnostic about there being a billion dollars in a, in a secret chest at the bottom of the ocean, but like yeah. they might be there, but I don't spend my life diving after it cause I would waste my life. I have no evidence that it's there. So I don't waste my life diving down and at, going and, after and, that and, thing.
1: And, and you've hit on the right thing. It's like in, in your, in your doubts, whichever side you sit, it's actually about, The way you're going to act
0: Yeah, for all intents and purposes yeah exactly I am an atheist
1: you know yeah and for all intents and purposes all these people who speak about doubt are fully functioning Christians like they're still there they're still doing the ministry still doing that it's like well it doesn't look like you're doubting to me it looks like you're absolutely clear about where you're going with this in terms of still keeping the paycheck um, and, and but
0: you see, I don't think it's just hmm. as cynical as that. I I I, I think it is. Oh, I think it's yeah. part of it. But but here's the thing: I, I'm realizing. Like somebody asked me today, I was I was counseling with a guy, whose wife is still very much in the Christian deal, mm-hmm. and, and he's a great person. And he said to me, "Why? Why? Like when you were at that Wild Goose Festival, these people that don't really believe in any kind of." personal God anymore why do they keep using that language and I said yeah. well, you know for some of them it's about like staying connected to their families and their friends some of them it's about like they love the music and the imagery but I said the other thing is and I'm convinced of this Kester is that a lot of them are terrified of being in a universe that doesn't care oh
1: yeah absolutely
0: yeah I mean, that was what your that, Rob Bell article said. It was like, because Rob was doing this like thing about how the universe is, uh, what did he yeah. say? What did he say? Sort of weighted in your favor or like bent yeah, in your favor. Yeah, something va- like that, yeah. The yeah, odds, yeah. you know, and I, and you were like, excuse me, I call bullshit, like the universe mm. doesn't give a flying fuck about you.
1: Yeah, and, the, and the, you know, I think the line I kind of distilled that down to is the universe doesn't care. Only we can do that, yeah. you know? And that's, t- that, I don't think, you know, I know people want to think that's terrifying. I just think it's incredibly releasing. And it's the only honest thing. And, and, okay, you know, I will say this. Like, if I, if, and I don't believe it, you know, but if I happen to be wrong, and I turn up at the gates of heaven, whatever, and I'm told, like, oh, you know, you were wrong. I'm like, okay, I'll take my punishment. Yeah, you you know, do what you like. Because I lived absolutely, you know, with everything I could bring to this in the way that I thought was the best way, you know, to go about this. And in terms of you know, well, caring it, for people and that kind of yeah. stuff, you know, it's but like more,
0: more importantly than that, because like, you know, any God worth anything will save everybody. So, you know, right. I always used to say, even when I believed in God, like a God that sends people to hell, like send me to hell too. I, I got no interest. <laughs> yeah. But I think what's more, what's more <laughs> sort of important to me is this is, is that, it's the notion, I don't think people cling to the God language just because they're fearing going to hell. I no, think, no, 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 I think that what happens is is that even after they give up the idea of a personal God who does anything, mm-hmm. they hang on to the Christian ideal that says that human beings are utterly depraved. And so what happens is is that if you take away God... Mm. You're left in a universe. You're left surrounded by people, and you're like, I can't trust anybody. Like this is so bad. We're gonna like we're gonna just kill each other because the, what the ch- church teaches is is not the truth about people. The ch- you know and, right. and, and and the Christians always say to me, oh you humanists you think human beings are good and that you're gonna achieve you know perfection someday and stuff like that. And they're like, oh no, no no no. Like mm. I think human beings are a mixed bag. Like I think like we're evolved to cooperate. And we're evolved to compete. Yeah. You know, like there are moments at which I will kill you if you get in, my, in the way of me feeding my child, and there are other moments when I will altruistically sacrifice my life for you because that's the yeah. best strategy for making sure that my child gets through the life. This life, you know. And so, I just think like, but if you're if you believe that human beings are by nature evil, then if yeah. you take God out of the out of the equation. The universe is a terrifying place,
1: and I think the universe. Yeah, I and mean, and that's the point. I mean, and the the, the phrase I use in the book is like how, what it boils down to, you know, is there a force tending the light? Like, it, it, it just is there something?
0: Right, the light at the is end of the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel that everybody sees. You're like, is there somebody there tending that thing? Yeah,
1: is there a, is there some force tending the light, whatever that might be, and however general you want to talk about it, and and people it, you hate know, the idea that there is not oh absolutely but what that does actually and this is you know this is what I think is the, the true radical nature of of, uh, of what's right at the kernel of Christianity is to say look you know we, we put that to death that's what the cross is you put that notion to death and what you are left with is we have to care for one another
0: see now, now that's where you're gonna drive me crazy Because at the end of the day, after we're, after we're done killing all the magic, you come back around and you still want to like, bring me a version of Christianity that makes sense.
1: No, I want to, I want to, you know, I I, want to hold on to a story. I want to hold on to story. I'm not saying that there's some, that there's some, uh, actual transactional thing taking place that this was an event, you know, either that it. But happened, you know better. Some.
0: You know better than to think anyone can hear that story and not get sucked back into some like all these people that have a lifetime of layering on like actual meaning to that story, like actual truth to that story. Then, then like you, four seconds after you convince them that there's no God and that the universe doesn't care, you come back around with a new version of that story. You don't think they're going to glom back onto it.
1: Yeah, right in, my I, in my experience in my experience Yeah, in my experience people people are taking that people are taking that and I think I think the interesting thing is, you know, because people are coded for some kind of uh, You know, there's this a very ancient part of us which wants To accept this higher thing and I think it boils down to fear of death I think it, you know, we want our lives to, to have some kind of meaning and it's probably got something to do with, you know, ideas of fire and the lights above and these kind of very, very ancient Promethean. Yeah, I mean, things. I, think, so I, I think, think it's even I, deeper I, I think than the fear
0: of death. I think because I know lots of Christians who give up eternal life long before they give up the notion of a God. Because what they, what yeah they, even though it's not, they're not worried about death. They're worried about this life. They're worried about living in a universe where there's nobody in charge.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's true. But I think I think what what we've seen, particularly in the 20th century, is that when people abandon one idea of God, they very, very quickly latch on to another one, whether that's, you know, this kind of communist thing, whether it's technological optimism, whether it's, uh, you know, capitalism, which is what most people are serving most of the time, even though, you know, they wouldn't kind of consciously admit it. So what what I think it's interesting about the Christian story is that it offers a way of understanding this rhythm of putting gods to death and that that needs to be a constant practice. Um, and we have to be in that place because they don't people,
0: put... he rises no, no, no. again from the dead. He's not dead. It's a fake,
1: but it's a case of, you know, what, What is that resurrection yeah, it's it's how do you interpret that resurrection, but the, the, the key point is that you have to put your gods to death and that that needs to be a repeated ritual. Um, I'm not saying this is straightforward stuff, but, you know, in what what I think is is open there in terms of resources is that in that kind of, uh, you know, Eucharistic moment within the mass, you know, you've got this ready made ritual of putting gods to death. And taking that inside of us in order that we then become that resurrection thing of we have to be the ones who care. You know, the love is within us. Now, I'm not saying this is perfect, that it, you know, that it happens straight away and people grab it or whatever. And, of course, there is a danger that people just jump straight back into the thing. But you you, you can't leave people with no story.
0: No, of course not. Of course not. But you're as literary a person as I know. I mean, like, those books you mentioned, they're all, especially the magic book, like, they're all, like, a deep dive into all sorts of literature. So then, Mm -hmm. let me give you a piece of literature. Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov. Mm -hmm. The myth of the grand, the story of the Grand Inquisitor. Yeah. Are you familiar with it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, like, I'm not really great at summarizing this sort of thing, but what I remember of it was that in the... The, the, the secular brother is telling his Christian brother a story. And yeah. he says, you know, Jesus comes back to Earth and he starts doing miracles everywhere. And people are getting all excited. And the Catholic Church sends out somebody to, and they arrest him. And they bring him into prison and there he is. And, and the Archbishop comes in to, to, to interrogate him. And Jesus doesn't yeah. say anything but the Archbishop knows who he is. <laughs> and he says, why did you ever come back? It took us 2,000 years to undo the damage you did. (laughs) You wanted to make people free, and people can't. Freedom is for the elite. People don't want freedom. They can't handle freedom, but they wanted somebody to give them miracles, to give them bread, to give them water, to tell them what to do, and we, the church, have done that for them, and you're not going to come back here and undermine all our good work because we love the people, and we give them what they need, and you yeah. love the elite, and you, and, you provi- and you offer a story that makes sense for, for super smart, super strong, super courageous people, but not for the masses. Mm-hmm. I think that's what you do, Kester. I, I, like, I think that's what you do. It's like this idea that you can handle, like that. there's this form of Christianity that you can give to people, and they'll be able to understand that it's really about killing your God, not about worship. Like, I'm like, who can do that?
1: And I, and I, I, I agree with you there, but I'm not. You know, I am speaking, as it were, to those whom I've met over many years who are, you know, in that particular place. I'm trying to offer them a road forward,
0: and, and, uh, and I want you to offer. I, I guess okay, Here, but here's Robert. So, but but
1: but 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 what, what I think I will disagree with you on that is I, you know, I won't ever call myself just a pure humanist. Um, because I honestly believe that there are gods everywhere you know we um, and you know go back to the thing about the Turing test uh, you know how do you identify if people are worshipping a God we've well, got to look at the way that they interact and and you know the, the the energies and the devotions that they put into a particular thing now you might not want to so if your definition a of god, a
0: God is something that people devote their entire lives to there are gods everywhere
1: Exactly. And that's what I think the, the step that I'm interested in taking is helping people to understand, you know, what are you devoted to and how can you how can you bring about a change in what you're devoted to, which is why, you know, yes, I have started, you know, with a kind of radical theological project, which begins with the, with the destruction of of traditional Christianity. But if that's the only place it ever goes, if it doesn't impact people economically, if it doesn't impact people politically, then it's failed. I'm done with with writing theology in that way. I I I just you know I, I've said all I need to say to a particular group of people, and those group of people, you know, are are within that kind of emerging church radical line, so they will get the kind of metaphors I'm trying to use, I guess what I'm interested in doing now is writing in a different form. So through the fiction work that I'm doing through other stuff to try and, you know, create that same message, but in a different context, I guess.
0: When you say politics, like now all of a sudden I'm going like, okay, like what comes to my mind is a terrible, probably a stupid connection, but like Russell Brand, who's somebody I think like is genuinely political. Yeah.
1: He is genuinely political. And actually I think he's also quite honest, like he's uh, he's owned up to how he'd been naive and he's gone back and, and, you know, he's been doing a lot of study and he's put himself through college, uh, you know, really trying to politics properly, which is great.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't but, think you but, cannot but me, respect Russell, Blank, Russell Brand's process. I mean, whatever. whatever yeah. I mean, this is a guy who's clearly trying.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but I mean, what I mean by politics is how we act together as a society that that, that's what i mean you know i don't necessarily mean uh joining one political party or whatever or, or or any of that kind of stuff i mean i have good friends in in westminster politics you know who are in that place who are in policy who are members of parliament and so on and i you know strongly engage and support them in in what they're doing and it's you know it's 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 super interesting and not something that i would resist myself no, no, but, but polit- what, what, what i I'm understand what in. you're saying
0: politics meaning how do we wield our economic power how do we wield our personal power how do we interact yeah. our racial how do we power? work together our male dominance yeah. like how do we interact with one another and and yeah. that there's always a power dynamic going on between any two people and, yeah. and 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 how do we navigate that in a way that has integrity yeah. with what we claim to be our values?
1: But uh, but I honestly don't believe you can do politics without theology, and I don't believe you can do theology without politics. You know, I, well, when you say um,
0: theology, when you say theology, all like I. What I, if you said to me, "I don't think you can do politics without a cosmic narrative"? I would go like, "Oh, yeah, right. You need to have a sense of like what you think the big picture of the universe is, so that that will guide your little picture decision making." I get that, but when you say you can't do politics without theology, the very word <clears throat> theology sort of sort of says to me, "Oh, we're talking about like somebody out there or some like a god." And I'm like,
1: no, I don't, you better I, I be able to do politics I
0: mean, without theology. I,
1: don't, I mean, I don't think you can sensibly engage in politics unless you have really good language and understanding about the ways in which people uh, interact with the big other, whatever that big other may be. So Tad DeLay's book, well, he's written two great books, God is Unconscious, and his latest book, The Cynic and the Fool, where he where he looks at how people's uh you know kind of psychopathology plays out in terms of their politics and their religion and that's what i mean is that any politician what's the big other
0: what's the big other help me out
1: well it's that which is is the system that we serve so you know for example you know you've got your you've got your uh, kind of guy in the in in the Communist Party who's like hey you know if it was up to me I wouldn't be sending you to the gulag but you know the party says I have to so in that sense the party whatever it is this outside system is the thing that is telling him you know it, 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 it's it, it is offering a demand which he cannot resist uh, it's making a demand, sorry, that he cannot resist. It's this idea of the big and infinite demand, and and do all of us that. have
0: one? Do all of us have one?
1: You all have gravities towards them that I think um, we need to learn to resist, because because what tends to happen, and this is my kind of argument in After Magic, is that what happens in the big other. Is that it 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 offers a promise that it will lift you above your Base humanity and it will offer you some kind of power it will offer you some kind of salvation. It will offer you some kind of um, You know some kind of supernatural acceleration whatever But in doing that that promise is never fulfilled and what happens actually is that it dehumanizes That the big other always dehumanizes so our job is to become conscious of where the big other is acting on us and to be to learn to critique that and to return to our humanity
0: all right now the title of this show is is humanize me so yeah we go so when somebody says this dehumanizes us or something always dehumanizes us it yeah. it sort of raises the question for me what do you mean by human Like, what is it to be humanized? Because I have a fairly strong idea of what that means. But but, but people mean it
1: differently. Yeah, it, it means to care about one another. It means to be integrated into community and society without feeling that you are doing that because some big other tells you that you should. Um, so it is, it is, it is literally about the horizontal connections between us. That is what it is really about. Um, and that when we abandon those for some connection to some higher power, the promises that we will become able to love more fully or more fully human and actually what is delivered Is that we become less human because we are no longer best able to serve one another interesting you know and this is you know so take take uh, Macbeth you know here's a play that begins with a guy who listens to some voice from a higher power through these witches and in listening to that voice it utterly dehumanizes him. He feels he has no choice. He is told he's going to become king. So he, he he can then do anything he likes in order to make that happen. So he kills the king and, you know, and, and there we go. It utterly dehumanizes him. It takes him out of community. He begins in community and he ends up completely excluded from it. Now, at the same moment at the beginning of the play, the witches speak to his friend and... He says, ah, you know, I don't think you should trust what they say. You know, I hear it, but I'm not gonna live by that. Now there's a guy who is sensibly critiquing that big other and actually someone who ends up um, you know, certainly engaged in, in relationship and whatever, even though you know it doesn't doesn't turn out so well. But yeah, you know.
0: See, it's interesting um, because the thing that I find maybe because I'm around a lot of sciencey people right now is mm-hmm. the the thing that i find that is the great threat on the human experience or on being human yeah is the promise of infinite capacity oh god yeah um whether it's infinite a bit like in, extending life or whether it's yeah. you know cyborgian connections with computers you know like so somebody holds up their phone and they say look I can contain much more. I can, you know, now connected to this, I have capacities that no human being had, and that's true. There's true. But like the, what they what they're convinced of is is that it's a good thing to extend their capacities into infinity. Yeah. You know, David Deutsch's book, The Beginning of Infinity, which I really loved, but like it's this kind of like screed to the idea that limitations are a problem. And to me, a big part of being human is being limited is being finite is knowing you're going to die and so if somebody said to me well listen i can get rid of the whole death thing i would sort of go like um excuse me but no and you go like but wait don't you want to live another few days i'm like i I will always want another few days Mm -hmm. but i do not want an infinite life because it would be like it is our humanity the finitude that causes us to make choices that causes us to have to choose either or on a lot of things and that's what defines what we value what we love what we you know and so I'm not sure that there's any love that happens between us if we're not finite
1: yeah of of course and I and I um, you know I, I think that's absolutely right so you know so the thing that the that the priests once promised are the exact same things that Zuckerberg and and you know these these big technologists now promise. I mean, for God's sake, you know, an Apple Store is about as close as you can get to to a kind of temple-like Zen structure, whatever. It also looks like a mausoleum. It looks like a you know you know this clinical operating theatre kind of space. It looks like a, a a morgue actually. All this kind of pure whiteness, um, but the promises are exactly the same. And the promise is, if you look back to the, you know, early history of, of what computers will be able to do and what the internet will be able to do, the promise again is, great wisdom. It's exactly what's promised in the Garden of Eden. You know, you will have all knowledge. You won't die. All these kind of things. You
0: won't have to work.
1: You won't have to work. Of yeah. course. Yeah. Now, and what what I think we're seeing is, that is politically hugely problematic because what's happening yeah you've got this elite of people who are going to be super healthy super wealthy won't have to work
0: and they'll be super but, depressed too they're super yeah, depressed yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: cuz yeah. I mean
0: I don't want to I don't want to work I want to have to work like yeah. that's the weird thing is like it, the have to yeah. is what makes it meaningful like if i'm just yeah. chopping wood to to like to get back to nature it's very different than chopping wood yeah. so that my family yeah. doesn't freeze to death.
1: And I, you know, people are asking me, oh, would you like to be able to write full time? And it's like, ah, you know, it'd, it'd be good. But I think I'd run out of ideas. I mean, I, I I like the fact that I have to work. You know, I think work is very good for me. Uh, and it worries me again, going back to some of these characters who are supported by churches and ministries and online donations, whatever, who don't actually have to do anything. It's it's, it's like, this is crazy. Like, you know, we're all these robots and we'll keep you going, but it's like, there's no no experience Well, bro,
0: I I just got to tell you, like, if you, like, right now, like, the number of people that respond to these conversations by asking Mm. me for real, like, Will you think through my marriage with me? Will you think through my job with me? Will you help me, yeah. like, bro? It's work, like, yeah. like, like you know, I, like I may sound like any old minister out there, but like I'm just telling mm-hmm. you, like at the end of the day, yeah, I'm exhausted because I've really and it feels like work. It feels like like okay, I'll climb into your life for a few hours and I'll I'll care and 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 I'll I'll carry that with me and like so I'm not convinced that all work, like. Or, or that all sort of writing or thinking or talking, like I'm not convinced that it's all not work. Some of that is oh, work.
1: Of course it is work. Of yeah. course it is work. But there's a sense in which having to labor uh, you know, is, a, is a good thing.
0: Yeah, it's and I actually thing. like it that there's a direct connection between like, I'll talk to you for an hour and you'll pay me for that hour, rather than this yeah. whole ministry thing where like, here's a salary just to exist
1: yeah and that you know that worries me that kind of stuff
0: so so okay so let me like so the finitude thing we're on the same page on that and oh gosh yeah and the kill your gods thing like the idea that there's this that anytime a big other promises you that you're somehow going to be able to transcend finitude yeah or that you're somehow going to be be able to like not need the village or like you're going to get an instant like pill size shape of the of the village, so that you don't actually have to invest any time and effort in the muck yeah. and mire of relationships. You, you you know, I'm with you. Like kill that big other, like like yeah. s- escape that big other.
1: Um, but that but that big other is so interesting now in this very technological world. Um, yeah, you know, back in you know back with Apollo 11, and Norman Mailer he goes to see the launch of the Saturn V rocket that's taken these guys to the moon. And it's just this gut-thumping, powerful machine. I mean, that, that is one big rocket. And he says, you know, screaming above the rocket fire, hearing this thing, feeling this thing in his chest going off. He says, now, now we have finally finally found something with which we can speak to God. In other words, you know, we finally built a machine powerful enough to be able to do that, you know. And then people say, oh, you know, there's, there's more... There's more computing power in my iPhone than there ever was in the whole Apollo missions And that's the point like we grasp this thing as if it has some kind of transcendent religious Meaning this phone like we can call into into our presence people we can know all things we can we can Mediate our presence into other places. These are explicitly religious promises being made by technology. Okay, so let me, let me... And we have got to be really clear about critiquing those.
0: So let me let me cut you to a chase here. Moral progress. Possible or impossible? Um, there is a right answer here, Kester. There is a right answer.
1: You believe there is a right answer, yeah. I mean...
0: I, I do believe there's a right answer. and I think, You I do think, believe there's a right answer. And I think that the I mean, wrong answer is what makes us trust the other.
1: That's interesting, yeah.
0: Because the right answer is there's no such thing. Individuals can progress. Things can get better. But as a species, we are always cast back upon the same struggles, the same issues over and over again. And it is the promise of yeah. moral progress that like somebody comes along and says like I can get you there, and the answer yeah. is anybody who says that they can get you there is lying because there is no getting there.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think what we need to be careful of is that we don't abandon hope, and that's a really interesting thing at the moment. You know, politically, um, and the UK can feel like a pretty hopeless place at the moment in terms of what's going on with with us politically here, but. You know, where do you go to for hope in that situation? And um, I think you're absolutely right is that the, the wrong place to go f- to for hope is that there is some kind of higher meaning, higher moral progress that we are kind of edging towards the light in that way. Um, however, so in abandoning like the storm, that hope...
0: The storm will always rage. And the hope
1: the is... The storm... Yeah. yeah
0: the hope is we've learned a lot about sailing and we've learned a yeah. lot about, about, about sunscreen and we've learned a lot about working together. And so yeah. we can, we can increasingly sail through the storm with comfort and with kindness and with fairness. And like some of the ships will will sink back into like piracy and bad stuff and everything like that. Like, but you know, it's sort of like that walking dead show where like, some mm-hmm. of the tribes will be really shitty, but, like, it's possible to build a good tribe and then to, to send somebody out from that tribe who knows the secrets of tribe building and maybe build another good tribe. And, like, the best you're going to do is not to escape the storm.
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely. But
0: it's to be good sailors. Yeah. You're just going to – just yeah. And you say, but at the end of my sailing, will my ship eventually sink too? And you're like, oh, yeah, they all sink in the end.
1: Yeah, of course. Of course.
0: You can have yeah. a good trip. You can have a good trip. You can have a bad trip. Yeah. yeah. And that's all I can offer you is how do you make the most of this amazing opportunity to be, on, to be conscious and to sail across, to, ha- to have a brief time when you sail in the universe conscious of what's going on around you? and the answer is the way to the way to make the most of it is by loving each other and by having those horizontal relationships and by reflecting yeah. deeply and 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 the way to the way to waste your trip is to think that somehow you can extend it indefinitely
1: yeah uh, uh, absolutely absolutely however there's a you know the, there's a there's a kind of particular uh sense in which having probably got into that storm feeling that you know there is some god out there who can calm the storm or whatever i think it's probably better to have been in that place and then left it behind I, in other words i think there's why do you, always why do you think something that? because i think it is very very unlikely as we've said that people will finally and absolutely reject any kind of and all possible future ideas of big other. I think it'll always be part of a human DNA to stretch for that. So to have this module that 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 can see that and smile at it and identify it and say I see what's happening here, and then to critique that and again become a better sailor through that is. is I tell you what, is better.
0: I think you need some people on your boat that used to believe in infinite hope, like in, in, in the God who saves. And when that story comes up again and somebody starts telling that story, they can go like, wait a second, man. I've heard this story before. Let me tell you something about that yeah. story. But I also think that there are people, and I've known them when I was working in the neighborhood, who grew up with no hope, not too much hope. Not that they were mm-hmm. hoping for too much, unrealistic hope. They grew up with no hope. They grew up thinking, yeah. and somebody entered into their life. Yeah. And somebody brought them a loving relationship or took them into meaningful work or showed yeah. them something they could do with their body that would be pleasurable and, and, yeah. and, and, and healthy. And then they were like, they're like almost like a character in a, in a Walter Mosley novel. Like, um, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the, this guy who gets out of prison and, uh, and, and, and he's had nothing but pain and suffering and he, and he ends up in a little apartment with a friend and a dog and he's so satisfied with it. And I think you want somebody on your boat that sort of had no hope and then, and then gets into all we're going to get to do is sail, sail for a little while before we sink. And he goes like, damn, that's so much better than torture. Yeah, like uh,
1: I agree. And he goes like, "Man, I y'all agree. should,
0: y'all should appreciate this. These simple pleasures, you know, almost like a stoic or, or an Epicurean. You know,
1: somebody uh, going like, course. these yeah.
0: little pleasures. Are you? can you, you wait. You get to sit around in the backyard with people that you love and eat a decent yeah. meal. If that happens to you three nights in a row, that's more than yeah. I ever thought I would get.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I so, agree.
0: And so I think that you want people who have hoped too much." to warn you against hoping for too much. And you mm-hmm. want people who have not had any hope to let you know that moderate hope. Um, yeah. Hoping for a meaningful life, if not an, intim- not an infinite life. Yeah. Not a perfect life. yeah, But a meaningful life. Go like, damn, meaningful life? Shoot, man, you won the cosmic lottery. <laughs> I mean, seriously, there are rocks on Jupiter, they don't have any meaning. There, yeah. there, there, there are amoebas, and they, 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 they don't form any connections. Like, y'all have a chance at a meaningful life? You, yeah. you, are the, you are the most fortunate atoms in the universe.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I would agree with that.
0: So, so yeah. you teach. What do you teach? Literature? I teach. Try again. Uh, history?
1: I'll give you one more
0: if you tell me math, I'm going to be real surprised. I teach math. Are, are you serious?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Man, I could read all three of your books three times and I would never guess you taught math.
1: See, for me, it's right there. Like it's right wow. there in the, in the you know, in the beauty of that subject. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a way of understanding the world. It's a, it's a language. It's a language. Yeah, it is. Uh, and it has its okay. and this and this is what I say to my students, you know, oh, you know, God, you know, when am I ever going to use this? And like, well, you know, when are you ever going to use, you know, the formation of an oxbow lake? And when are you ever going to use something about Henry VIII? I mean, you're not here for a for a vocational education. You are here to learn a suite of languages. You're here to learn different ways of approaching the world. And one of those, I'm not saying it's better than the others, but one of those is by pure reason, like absolutely cold reason. There is no poetry in mathematics. There are no metaphors. It is what it damn well is. But we can tell stories, you know? And that that's where we proceed, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, so, sort, of, it's
0: sort of like the, the, the bedrock upon which you stand to tell your stories.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah. And, um, you know everything we're doing in school is trying to equip students to have a, a good suite of languages with it with which they can approach the world and some of that will be some HTML some of that will be some music notation some of that will be a modern foreign language some of that will be a classical language some of that will be poetry some of that will be mathematics and hey some of that's going to be the language of the you know the ancient faiths and 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 definitely some philosophy too so I try and model in my classroom um, you know good skills with with multiple languages um, mm-hmm. and, and and try and bring home to students look you know from this quite surprising place of uh, you're in a math classroom I'm saying there are some incredible languages out there
0: and how old are these how how old, how old are the young people that you're teaching
1: 11 to 18 Wow yeah. So you're taking them from a kind of basic numeracy on a journey through to higher abstracts, you know, pre-university mathematics where, uh, yeah, that's where it gets interesting. But the, you know, that journey through to that point is all about relationships and languages. That's what it is. Yeah.
0: Um, now, now you mentioned, I, you, 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 oh, go ahead. No, go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to say, you know, I never tell them anything about my writing or my other work, but you know, they always find out they, they, I'll give them six weeks before they Google it or something stupid. And then they're like, Whoa, hold on a minute. Like what? (laughs) (laughs) And then you're like, okay, you know, we can talk about that. We can do some stories. We can, we can, yeah, we, we can talk some of that through.
0: Do your books sell enough copies to like make a difference in your life? Like I wrote a book, but it didn't sell enough copies to make any difference in my life I mean
1: you know what's the difference like i mean i mean uh, it's, it's just a, it's i mean a, i, I don't need a lot of money to make a difference in my life because you know i don't I'm not like a high income person they don't you know what they don't sell loads uh, i mean it's interesting like there's a there's a great guy uh called chris who Um, I've written an article for for a a book that he's editing and he was like, oh my god I just loved your book on piracy. He said i give it to all my students that I teach in in University or in seminary, whatever and they always begin like why the hell are we reading this and then when they get to the end They're like that blew my mind and that's the essential problem of my work is like people look at my books and like, why the hell would I read a book about piracy? Why the hell would I read a book about magic why would I would I read a book, you know, about drugs and space travel? But I'm not interested in writing anything else. And the reason that I love being able to work and then write is that I can write genuinely what I want to write.
0: Yeah, no, these that, are the
1: books that are that, are, that are only there because they are interrogations that I've gone on myself. And yeah, you know, they give me a few they give me a few thousand a year, and that you know what when I mean I'll head what, down to France with yeah. the kids and that'll be great. So, what yeah. I
0: mean by make a difference in my life is Malcolm Gladwell writes a book. Oh, it's not just the money. It's not just the money. But what mm-hmm. happens is is that wherever he goes, people come to him and they're in the conversation with him. They're already yeah. they're, they want to say but you know, you say this about about the adaptive unconsciousness, but I think this and like like mm-hmm. it, it it literally changes the conversations that he has with everyone. Yeah, you know, forget the money, and like I wrote this book, but most of the people that I meet, even the people that really know me, even the people that have read the darn thing, it doesn't Mm -hmm. it doesn't change our conversation that much. Very few people say to me, "Hey, you know," and so I guess when I, I mean like you write these books, like do they you know are you. Do you get lots of letters from people that have written them that start conversations, like, or read them that start conversations? Like, does it change the way that you are in the world? Because, like, I'm trying to get myself to write another book, and I'm just like, I'm not sure I write books. Like, my podcast, that's made a difference in my life.
1: Yeah. My podcast changes the way I relate to people. Yeah. My books have made a very big difference in my life. Okay. So, for two reasons. One is that, one of the touchstones I try and hold to is that you write to discover and not to reveal. Like I don't set out writing a book because that's I want to reveal a bunch of amazing wisdom that I've got. Wow. I set out to write a book because I want to discover something that I don't know. That's my, I, that's I, my problem. I've and never it's done. Only that. about halfway through the book
0: that, that I realize
1: what, what I'm actually really writing ah, about. So yeah, so no, my like my books profoundly changed my life because I didn't know what I was getting into when I started writing it
0: but yeah so wait 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 just stop there for a second because I just read this book by Emily Estevanzi Smith called the power of meaning and she and in this chapter about storytelling she talks mm -hmm. about the moth the radio show the moth yeah yeah
1: great storytelling show really good show yeah really good show
0: and she says that most of the people that, that she interviewed said oh yeah the moth was like therapy for me it wasn't yeah. until I sat down to tell the story that I figured yeah. out what it meant to me. Absolutely. And it sounds like that's exactly what you're saying is, is that the process of writing these books is is, is a process of discovery and it changes me. And so even if nobody ever read the book, that was yeah. how I figured out what I thought about that thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's that's absolutely. and that's And, really and you know, the only thing then to do, I think, to have integrity, for me as a writer, is to then put those into the public domain in exactly the form I want them to be um, so that I offer that gift to others and if they find something there too, that's fantastic. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what, I, I, I kind of, you get to a point of not caring whether the books sell that much because the book has done well for me. I want them to sell because I want people to feel that sense of connection. I also really care about the craft like I really, really care about the quality of the writing i It just is profoundly important to me as a as a as a labor like it, it's important to give people something that I feel is beautiful and is well constructed um, but and, but and you, people get that
0: but you know like, that what's interesting is I know they, i mean I do I get that when I read your stuff. I mean, what's funny is like i it's, it's funny I have to tell you, I get it more from the articles. And the blog mm-hmm. posts, because there's a sort of a, th- there's an accessibility there. Yeah. Um, they're just, you know, like, that, like the one about Harry Potter, which was funny because I had just interviewed this woman who uses Harry uh. Potter as a sacred text.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: And, and then I got to your thing about that Harry Potter was kind of the ultimate version of your magic thing, which is yeah. somebody who gets through magic and then lets it go on the other side. Um, yeah. and, 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 realizes that humanity is where the action is. Um, yeah. and, 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 and so, but, but when I read those articles, it's very clear to me that you've chosen the words carefully and that you've crafted this crafted the, 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 the piece in, in a very, very sensitive way. But here's what I'm thinking is like, you're really good at that. Um, But I'm thinking that when you, the way you just described it, I'm thinking everybody needs to be writing a book or telling a story or like everybody needs a way in which they are somehow trying to communicate what they're thinking. Yeah. So that they can figure out what they're thinking.
1: Absolutely right. Yeah. And that practice of having story or whether it's through. Some musical expression or some some means of accessing you know what's going on beneath that's so important because
0: you've got to ex so if you're not trying to express it mm. you're
1: probably not
0: or, or or trying to communicate it or trying to at least capture it you're probably not going to work hard enough to get to the bottom of it
1: yeah, and if you're not using a medium which can help you do that uh that that, that that's not rich enough yeah. You know instagram isn't a medium which is rich enough to be able to do that work or uh, it very very rarely is i mean someone like teju cole is 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 doing that work but um and this is why you know i i keep saying to to my kids and to others you know this is why novels are so important it's because they're an incredibly rich medium for helping people to access that i mean film is film is good but it just doesn't carry the same demand on us in terms of our kind of long term ability to reflect and to get into other stories and to reflect you know, on our that, own stories. That may be true. Time time.
0: That may be true. But when you're when you're around people that make films, it may oh. not serve the same oh. purpose for the person watching.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for the making, but for the course. maker, for the maker, oh, it's the gotcha. same thing.
0: We're like they figure absolutely, out what they, and yeah. fe- you know, they figure out what they feel about race by making that movie about race. They figure out what absolutely. they feel about sexuality by making that film about their sexual, you know, journey.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is yeah. really
0: important, Kester, because like, you know, when you talk about wanting to get people back into the horizontal relationships. I mean, I forget what, what was it you said? You said humanity is all about the the horizontal relationships. Um, yeah. And, and when I think about humanizing people and like I'm always trying to in, in this conversation is trying to figure out like is there anything that this brilliant person that I'm talking to or this like accomplished person that I'm talking to or just this very thoughtful person that I'm talking to is there anything that in their practice that can I like that somebody who is listening in Dubuque, Iowa could go like mm. oh okay I could like and I think some of the high-minded like philosophy and stuff that we started out with, like, it's great. But like, but I think that this is where somebody could listen and go like, Oh, I thought you had to be like, when you were really smart and you had a really cool idea, then you wrote it down. And you're, God, no. and you're saying just the opposite.
1: No, it is. And it, it's, it's the courage to accept that you have a valid, thing to say and to write down or whatever. I mean, and, and it, and it, and it, and it takes courage to get over that. Oh, you know, you've got to be a special academic and you've got to be this and that and the other, but also you know? that you're allowed to start. People say, to me, al- Oh, you know, how, how, how do you become a writer? how do you become a writer? You know, it's like, well, okay. Uh, unless you have very serious problems, accessing stuff, you know, you, you can write, okay. I mean, you, you can type or you can apply pen to paper. Well, yeah, okay, well then you're already a writer. Like, get over yourself. But, you know, you're I'm already g- a writer. I'm
0: going to give you one more thing you need. One more thing you need. And that is you need at least one other person that even if you're not actually going to deliver the thing to them and actually let them read it, mm-hmm. but that you're writing to somebody. Yeah. I feel like you need to, you need to be thinking about this in terms of I'm trying to get what's inside me out or i'm trying to i'm trying to figure out what's going on inside me so that i can tell it to somebody else and so i I feel like you don't need to write books to be published you could if you if you sat down and had a correspondence with with one friend and said like i'm gonna try to tell you what's going on with me emotionally like my my relationship with my mom let me try to i i and, and you say, well, do you know it? Can you write it down for me? You're like, I don't even know what my relationship with my mom is like. And you're like, okay, then start writing.
1: Then start writing. Exactly. Exactly. So, so
0: it's not just, that just that you, don't, you don't need to be talented. It's also it's, it's oh. that you don't, you don't need to have figured out what you're writing yet. You don't sit down and go like, you have something to say, so say it. It's like, yeah. you don't know what you have to say, so figure yeah. out somebody that you're going to try to communicate with
1: yeah. and, and and start. And, and you know what? You may think that it, that it just doesn't particularly make sense. Well, okay, then it's a poem. <laughs> <laughs> That's all a poem is. It, it, it is a, it's an attempt just to shoot in the dark towards something. But it's the process of writing that. Yeah. That's where that engagement happens.
0: Yeah. I, li- I listen to this uh, podcast called Song Exploder, where these artists talk about a song that they wrote and mm-hmm. how it came together, like where they, p- where they found the sounds, where the words came from. And it's, it's, it's like 15 minutes long. But, and, and, and at the end, they play the song. And even if I don't like that kind of music, yeah. by the time they get to the song and they tell me how they got there, yeah, I'm totally mesmerized. But yeah. what's interesting is is that some of the lyricists they're just pulling sentences that, that they like. Yeah. And, and they're like, I don't really know what it means. But then they say, I put these lines together and I sing them mm-hmm. and somebody else listens to them and they tell me that it meant something to them. Or they yeah. they find things in there that you know I didn't put in there, but then, yeah. they, then even I get them. Even I get them coming back. And so I think that sometimes yeah, the act of expression... And maybe the act of even having somebody else interpret our expression and go like, maybe sometimes we hand something to somebody and they tell us, this is what you mean.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, the other thing about about writing or whatever your, whatever your medium is, is you've got to have, you've got to keep filling the well. Like, you know, if you're going to write, you need to read. If you're going to create music, you've got to listen to music. And... I think what worries me just to return to the kind of theological thing for a a while is that people spend so much time reading that one damn book. And this is a book which we're told is utterly perfect and nothing can – you know, it's all – and it's like it's so closing down. It's – you know, if you take – Scripture is inerrant like that. It just shuts down all other literature. It's like I read it. It's all right It's you know, it's a fine piece of work Why would I I read
0: this other thing if if it's all if if, why would I read a secondary text if the primary text is right here?
1: Exactly, exactly. So, you know my I suppose my journey away from that Sacred text has always been inevitable only because I've just been always a reader. I just read everything I read as much as I can um, and you can't do that and just stick within one story. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just absurd.
0: Well, you know, it's funny. I, sometimes people say to me, well, without the Bible, you know, like, how do you, mm-hmm. you know, like, what do you guys, like when you secular humanists get together, what do you, Yeah. you know, and I'm sort of like, Oh, all the books are our books yeah we can read any book and ask a simple question at the end of it which is does it ring true is there anything there that we can use to love each other better yeah is there anything there that we can use to have a greater sense of gratitude or a greater sense of wonder for for life so if i'm reading a science book and it tells me kind of how my eyeball works you go like well gosh i can use that 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 just makes me feel that much more excited about the fact that i have an eyeball um yeah yeah, 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 and so you know they're all my books, you know they're all sacred, yeah. uh, you know, a book is yeah. sacred if it makes me more human and uh yeah. and 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 they all do that, or they all not all of them, but many of them can do that,
1: yeah, absolutely, yeah, and the ones that don't you know you you mark them down as as that they are still still interesting to read. I mean, you know, you might not push it any further, but this yeah, it's all good stuff, see, that's all what good stuff.
0: I feel like you are a humanist. I no, feel like I feel like you love the human experience, and you're devoted to it.
1: I do, but I, you know what? I, it's like it's so pointless getting tied up on labels. No, um, it's really I'm good. If you you did, need un- labels if you that way you can that. find people.
0: What happens if somebody? What happens if somebody moves to a new town and they want to find the people that are reading books the way you read them? Where how are they going to find you? At the bookshop. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is true, but the trouble is, like you know. If if they only find me through the label humanist, then you only get those sorts of people. Whereas, um, yeah, you know, th- there's so many different, there's so many different tags. There are lots of meta tags that you can add to a life. Yes, there are. And humanist is is one of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I, I think it's the worst name for us except for all the others. Um, <laughs> I mean, I just, I, like, in a sense, I really do try to find a way, like... And I, you know, in some sense for me, that word is sort of void of meaning. And so it's, it's a good word that you can sort of invest meaning in and say, yeah. here's a way of life that my friends and I are pursuing. Yeah. And we've just decided – to we we might have called it like tissue paper, but we've decided to call it humanism. And yeah. and, and you say, well, what does that mean? They say, well, to us it means this, that, yeah. and the other.
1: And in a, in, a, in a group of humanists, I might well call myself a humanist in a, in a, in a, or, or probably the other way. You know, in a group of humanists, I probably – call myself a Christian and a Christian would probably call myself a humanist uh, I mean it's just you know, trying to you, just stretch people You are I'm, I'm always guy. the pirate
0: I know you always are <laughs> hey you mentioned some kids you mentioned some kids do you have kids
1: I got two kids how who old I need it? to I need to put them to bed how, old, shortly, how but, old are yeah, these kids they're 13 and 10
0: wow and, and, and are you raising yeah. them by yourself you got somebody helping you raise them
1: uh, so yeah, my my ex-wife and I are, are still good friends and all the rest of it, but we're separated about eight years ago. Um, so yeah, we live about twenty minutes walk apart. Um, so they're with me tonight. Yeah. Ah,
0: oh, beautiful. Well, listen, I will let you go, man. That's 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 beautiful. No, nah, you
1: know, it's, it's, but um, yeah, it's been fantastic to talk. But I, I, and 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 you know what? Um, I just think all of this again ties in with this with this beautiful act of. Of of parenting and being responsible for another person, and that that's not to to exclude those who haven't had children or don't want children, or whatever. But it, it's that profound experience of 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 loving another person and of and of being responsible for another person, which is entirely humanizing, just quite extraordinary. That that thing of of uh, of what it of what it does to you in terms of empathy, and it's such an important part of my life. Yeah. Such an important part. Of
0: well, this. I w- I will tell you that as a chaplain at USC, working with college students, university students, and you're a teacher, so you know this too. Yeah. Like, yeah, parenting was and is one of my favorite things that I ever did. Mm. But I also know a lot of people for whom parenting was a, a huge and horrible experience of Yeah, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so and so but I also know that like these some of these college students that I love, um, yeah. It's, it does the same thing for me in different ways. Mm. But this, I think what's really, this is about, it's much more tribal than just biological parenting. I think yeah. what it is, is it's the elders of a tribe looking at the, yeah. at the newborns of the tribe and saying, we've got to teach them how to sail. We've got yeah. to teach them how to fight. We've got to teach them how to read, We've got to teach them how to live. And I think that whenever, whenever a human being looks to, a younger or more vulnerable human being, and says, "I want to help that person learn how to flourish. I yeah. want to I want to teach them how to live. I think that magic happens."
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Absolutely. And so, so
0: go make some magic here by putting these kids to bed. And and, and like, <laughs> I, 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 I hope this really was. I mean, like you know, like I hope this actually was a fun conversation for you. It was really fun. It was really it. fun
1: for me. I've um, loved it. And I I you know I regret that our half hour. Actual meet face to face was wasn't longer because um, yeah yeah you're 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 a real uh, inspiration Um, and I think you know the courage and the way that you've you've lived out your convictions is is to be honoured so thank you for being all you are
0: ah thank you
1: all right babe I'll talk to you soon take care man cheers Bye -bye. bye bye
0: so there you have it me and Kester Bruin I hope you dug it I love Kester and if you want to find out more about him, uh, he's got a website. You can find it through my website, which is BartCampolo.org. You can find out all sorts of stuff at BartCampolo.org. You can find out how to support this podcast. You can find out how to enlist me as a counselor or a coach if you're jammed up in some way that you think I might be helpful, especially if you're going through some kind of religious transition, you're dealing with some relationship stuff. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so, so, so that's, that's all good stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I got an Ingersoll quote for you because, well, people keep writing to me and saying, I like the Ingersoll quotes. So I'm not going to belabor this. I'm just going to give you a short one, all right? The truth is that Moses regarded the firmament as a solid affair. It was where God lived and where water was kept. It was for this reason that they used to pray for rain. They supposed that some angel could with a lever raise a gate and let out the quantity of moisture desired. In no other way could he account for rain. Where did the water come from? He knew nothing about the laws of evaporation. He did not know that the sun wooed with amorous kisses the waves of the sea and that they clad in glorified mist rising to meet their lover were by disappointment Changed to tears and fell as rain. <laughs> okay, that's uh, science um, hiding in the midst of poetry. And it's kind of fun. All right, so there you go. That's me. That's Kester Bruin. That's Robert Ingersoll. And uh, we'll come back at you next time on Humanize Me. For more information about the work of Bart Campola, please visit
1: barcampolo.org.